Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. It is Monday, May 18th, 2020. I am Andrew Hansen, joined once again by Shane Caldwell, and we are continuing our 32-day virtual tour of the NFL with some more AFC West coverage today. We're going to hit on the Denver Broncos. So Shane, if you're John Elway here, how are you feeling in the middle of the offseason? Hey, I think it's it's Monday today, but I don't think Elway has a case of the Mondays. Uh, I, I right. feel like he's, he's done pretty good here. Uh, you know, I love the AFC West this year in the offseason because it's kind of like an arms race. Everyone's trying to keep up with Kansas City. So, you know, I did the Oakland Raiders yesterday. You've seen how they're adding all this talent, trying to keep up with the scoring pace. So being that the, this division's adding more weapons and more more dynamic playmakers, and improving their offense. This is good in the DFS fantasy world. Uh, so very excited about this division. I think John Elway's done an excellent job from improving his coaching staff to improving the talent level and building around and believing in his quarterback that he's got in Drew Locke, uh, improving the defense slightly. And just the overall outlook for this team is really trending up. They had a tough start to the year. Uh, 2019, they were seven and nine, which is good for second place in the AFC West, but obviously way behind Kansas City. And they started out 0-4. So it was looking like this Vic Fangio experiment is going to be a disaster. But they had Joe Flacco, a quarterback who was a washed up veteran. He was a statue in the pocket. You know, he would just sit there and just get crushed every time. <laughs> he couldn't throw an accurate pass. He was just horrible. Uh, so they got it together at the end with Drew Locke and finished four and one. So that's a good sign. And, and that was with very few weapons, very few talent on offense. Now they loaded up on talent on offense and all kinds of exciting playmakers. And they will talk about how they improve the, the coaching staff here in a minute as well. So I'm really uh, looking forward to watching this team. And I think that they are going to be a pretty good uh, daily fantasy target uh, because of the talent. And I think they're going to uh, they're going to let Drew, Drew Locke actually air it out a little bit, let it rip. Uh, and they have a solid running game and offensive line. So those are all things I'm looking at. But overall, John Elway's done a great job to try to compete in the AFC West. And if he can't compete in the AFC West, I think they're a wild card contender going into 2020. Yeah, I agree. John Elway has to be feeling pretty good, uh, especially if you just turn the, the clock back to that first quarter of the season last year. You mentioned it starting out 0-4. I wasn't really thrilled with watching Vic Fangio and uh, you know, try to make that transition from defensive coordinator to head coach and uh, certainly a lot better finish to the year with with Drew Locke under center. And he got the statue Flacco out of there. Like you said, uh, he got sacked 26 times in only eight games. <laughs> it's it, was, horrible. it was pretty ugly when he was playing quarterback, but a lot of big changes on the coaching staff with the skill position players. So we'll get into that. But if you're, if you're new to the program, we are doing these podcasts every single day to get ready for the NFL season. And you can find out more about our group at DFSCoachTalk.com. We have weekly, monthly, and annual memberships. And we cover NFL, NBA, and MLB. We also cover the KBO right now. We give out lineup advice to our members. And Shane, I'm feeling pretty good today because yesterday – uh, we didn't have any prep for any Monday morning KBO. They take Mondays off traditionally. So I'm feeling pretty good. I know you were working some this weekend with the podcast, but um, I'm excited about this new week here. Yeah, I think a, a good night's sleep can, uh, can improve that, right? And there's no KBO, so that means you actually got a little bit of sleep there. You were able to cleanse out some of those neurotoxins out of your brain there and provide mental clarity so you can really crunch the numbers and uh, find some hidden gems in the DFS world here. That's right. That's right. So uh, we'd love to have you join uh, DFS Coach Talk. The memberships are frozen until we get uh, baseball, basketball, or football back up and running here in the U.S. So uh, we also had golf yesterday, a little match. Um, DJ, I, Rory. I actually – uh, uh, sorry to interrupt you there. I actually played NASCAR yesterday. That tells you – how how uh, thirsty I am right now to play some kind of something that resembles sports. I actually watched NASCAR. It was actually pretty cool. There was uh, it was at Darlington, and there was no fans uh, in the stands, and the cars are just ripping around there, you know. And it was just weird watching it. Like uh, so, when Kevin Harvick won, they get out of the car, 
and he's looking around like, you know, waiting for the fans to cheer and it's dead silent. So it was like super <laughs> awkward. And they got this microphone with like a six foot extension on it to try to interview it. And he's trying to get his helmet off. So like the whole idea of it was like super weird and awkward, but he still did the burnout to celebrate. And it was actually a pretty exciting race. And keep in mind, you know, this is kind of a harsh statement. I kind of hate NASCAR and I actually kind of enjoyed it because I wanted some kind of live sports and I actually ended up uh, breaking even on my lineups that I had in there, which is good considering I know nothing about NASCAR. <laughs> so, yeah. so that was my Sunday, man. I had some sports. I guess you consider that sports. So seriously, our mouths are parched for some DFS <laughs> here. Uh, and yeah. I, I watched the beginning and the end of golf. It was pretty good. Um, you know, went to a bonus hole closest to the pin. So it was pretty dramatic. Uh, not not a DFS option, but just a little taste. And we're going to get some golf back in June. So that'll be a lot of fun. But we are in uh, NFL coverage here. Uh, so let's get into the Broncos. And we've alluded to the big coaching change, which is that the Broncos have hired Pat Shermer. And here's the challenge for Pat Shermer. Last year, The Broncos were 28th in points scored. They were 28th in yards. They were 32nd in passing touchdowns. Okay, they only had 16 passing touchdowns through the air. And that's some pretty easy math, Shane. That's one per game, and it's not good. (laughs) And they weren't much better rushing. They were 20th in yards, 21st in yards per carry, 22nd in touchdowns. So the OC Scangarello is gone, and Pat Shermer is now in the building. How are you feeling about that? I'm really high on uh, Pat Shermer. You know, he's a guy uh, from Michigan, Michigan State guy, and I think he's he's got a lot of experience. Uh, he he coached under Andy Reid for years, and he knows a lot about the West Coast system. So he implements his, he's going to implement his offense, which is. Uh, has aspects of the West Coast system. It has some of the Andy Reid aspects where you take shots down the field. So he's the perfect offensive coordinator to take this offense to being a competitive offense and being able to score and make plays. And he's the perfect guy to develop Drew Locke, who's got a lot of talent, but he's kind of raw. He needs to improve his fundamentals as a quarterback and learn and learn the concepts in the NFL better. So Pat Shermer, I think, is known for developing good quarterbacks. I think he did pretty good with Daniel Jones in New York. Uh, Daniel Jones put up pretty good stats, and he didn't play the full season last year. So say what you want about what he did at the Giants. Uh, their defense wasn't good, obviously, but I think their offense was okay, and I think that they're going to have – He's Pat Shermer has a ton of weapons at his disposal now. Like I said, John always set him up nicely. Uh, I mean, so I, I like the – I like the addition of that. I think that's, and then you add the talent and the offensive coordinator, their offensive coordinator was not good last year. Um, And they also have Mike Shula, uh, who's a very experienced quarterback coach as well. So we're going to talk about Drew Locke. Uh, I think that uh, he's actually set up for a pretty good season uh, with Pat Shermer, Mike Shula and all the weapons that he has. I agree. So before we get into Drew Locke and the offense, let's touch on the defense as well. And, Keep in mind, this is the combination of Fangio and Donatel. They came over from the Bears. They spent four years over there. Fangio was the defensive coordinator. Donatel was in charge of the secondary. And they finished with the best defense in the NFL. And they parlayed it into the head coaching gig and the defensive coordinator gig with the Broncos. And what's surprising to me is last year the Broncos were 7-9, and nine, but their defense was above average across the board. They were 10th in points allowed. 12th in yardage allowed. And then look at these scoring numbers. They gave up only 19 touchdown passes, which was fifth, and only nine rushing touchdowns, which was fifth. So once again, my my concern with this team is, you know, if they match that performance, can Vic Fangio lead them overall to more wins? I mean, that is really what we're most concerned with here. But uh, just in terms of, you know, that group getting uh, getting together here for year two and any changes uh, on the defensive side, subtractions, additions, what's your outlook for the defensive group this year? You know, I think considering uh, they had a major injury last year on defense, which was Bradley Chubb, he only played four games. And I feel like he's one of the better uh, rush defensive and slash outside linebackers out there in terms of, you know, helping the run game and getting, uh, getting, uh, a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So when you combine, if they can have a full season with Bradley Chubb at, uh, and they're rushing with Von Miller, 
And then you also add, we added uh, Jarrell Casey from uh, Tennessee, who's a great uh, defensive lineman as well in the mix. And also, these are guys that they traded for. They also traded and got A.J. Bouye. If he can return to his Pro Bowl form on the outside corner there, he's a big physical corner, fits the scheme really well. So I think he will return to Pro Bowl form. So this you're looking at a top 10 defense in almost all categories. Uh because they were already ranked near the top 10 in almost all categories. They were 17th in sacks last year at 40 sacks, but that was without Bradley Chubb. So adding him automatically and Jarrell Casey, uh, you're, I think that you're looking at top 10 in all categories. So this is a really good defense. So this is actually a defense that you would target for your fantasy leagues and for your DFS in the right matchup. You would target them, uh, especially at home. I think they have a pretty good home field advantage there uh, at, at the Mile High uh, Stadium there. Uh, so, yeah, great, great defense. And I think that that's going to help them make stops and get the ball back to this dynamic offense as well. And if there's teams where they're shutting him down, this is good for like Melvin Gordon in terms of him getting that volume just to run the clock up. So this team is multidimensional. I think that the the, the additions they had they can play tough defense and they can run the ball or they can they can shoot out with you and pass the ball now as well, where they could not do that last year. It was basically funneling to Court and Sutton, and it was a hope and a prayer to Cortland Sutton every time last year and an occasional pass to Noah Fant. That's it. <laughs> and then, and then Philip Lindsay, you know, would make a few plays here and there, but he was somewhat limited by the rest of the offense, right? So it's a completely different story, which we're going to get into. Uh, so obviously uh, I'm pretty high on this defense. I will say that they lost Chris Harris Jr., who was a Pro Bowl st- caliber uh uh, secondary, uh, you know, cornerback. So they're a little bit light on the uh, this uh, secondary there, the depth. So that's one place you can attack them is in the secondary. Um, and they did lose uh, start their starting center, Connor McGovern, 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 McGovern. And uh, we'll talk about a rookie they, that they drafted to replace him at center. Um, so solid offensive line as well. And then the big team additions, they added Graham Glasgow, who used to play for the Lions. He's just, he's going to be a starting tackle, or I'm sorry, starting guard, probably a left guard. They added Jeff, Jeff Driscoll for a backup quarterback, who's an athletic quarterback. Nick Vanette, another tight end. This team is loaded with tight ends. They could probably go about five deep with tight ends. Uh, so another solid tight end. Obviously, Melvin Gordon and another Detroit Lions guy, Sam Martin, who's a great punter. So I don't think he'll have an issue booming the ball in, the, in that thin air up there, right? Uh, so those were the guys they added and the, the two guys they traded uh, for A.J. Bouye, Jarrell Casey, and one guy they lost was Joe Flacco. So I think that is addition by subtraction right there. So if you can get rid of Joe Flacco, that, you know, uh, I think that uh, John Elway's redeeming himself. The Joe Flacco experiment failed, and uh, I think he's got a young, big, quarterback now with the big arm with a ton of talent and uh i think the sky's the limit here even though he is raw and you know inexperienced so um so that pretty much sums up the team overall and the team additions from subtractions we'll talk about the draft later which they made a ton of moves there as well but overall i think it was a brilliant job of, of rebuilding retooling this team by john elway yeah and you're right in terms of the defense they need a repeat performance and if they can be above average again it's really going to help because they're in the AFC West, and there's that team that they're looking up at uh, with a guy named Mahomes and a bunch of weapons. You, know, you talked yesterday with Micah Patria about the the weapons that the Raiders added, and we know uh, that the Chargers are great with the skill position players as well. So very tough to, tough division. That strong defense is going to come into handy. But let's start with the offense, and let's start breaking down the 2020 perspective. And I'm going to give you an open canvas uh, for Drew Locke, just fill it up with whatever words you want to describe him. I think Drew Locke is going to be, he's underrated. I think he's, unless you're a Broncos fan, he's flying under the radar. And I think when you factor in everything that's going on, like we talked about the offensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, developing him, Pat Shermer, a great offensive line, a great running game to go with that with one, two punch of Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay, and now they have weapons, which we're going to get to that in the wide receiver section, and a solid group of tight ends that can that can do everything. They can beat you deep. They can they can still block. They can do everything. So when you put all that around him, I think that Drew Locke, even if they aren't a playoff team, I think he's going to be good for fantasy production. Um, so this is this is a, a player that's going to 
fly under the radar. We're talking about a guy that's 6'4", 225 pounds. You know, he's had some pretty good seasons in college at Missouri. And the fact is, yeah, it was kind of ugly when he was in there at times, but he showed the upside and the talent. Uh, it's kind of like when Patrick Mahomes came in at the end of the year, uh, I think his rookie year, and he kind of lit it up at the end of the year. Now, Drew Locke didn't light it up, but Patrick Mahomes came at the end and showed some of that flash of talent there at the end. And Drew Locke didn't show like Patrick Mahomes did, but he did show a couple of things, big things. He had, you know, at least one big game there. And that was, keep in mind, with no talent, where when Patrick Mahomes came in at the end of his rookie year, he had a ton of talent, right? He had Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and all those guys. So it was a little different situation, so it's hard to compare those guys. Obviously, Mahomes is uh, at the top. But Drew Locke is the type of guy that can come in and set and, and set the league on fire uh, and surprise some people. He only had one big game last year. It was against Houston where he kind of lit it up. He had almost 28 you know, fantasy points, which was good. Uh, the other games, he didn't do that great, um, but he didn't really need to. They won most of them, most of the games. And when they got blown out by Kansas City at the end of the year, it was in Kansas City in a snowstorm blizzard which was not set up well for, for him to be able to get that garbage time, you know, come from behind passing stats. You really can't blame him for that game. It was a complete, it was a complete disaster, you know, snowstorm blizzard. And uh, obviously uh, the team had no weapons also. So, uh, so looking for big things for Drew Locke. I think that uh, he's a great target. He's not going to be that expensive. So he'll be, you know, probably 5,500 to 6,000 range on DK and then, you know, if I can get him on FanDuel for like, you know, 7000 to 8000 range, you know, $7,500 range for a quarterback, I think it's good. And here's another thing. I think he's mobile, so he can move in the he can move in the pocket a little better, especially compared to Flacco, but anyone could. Uh, but I think Drew Locke has actually got some athleticism. I think he's going to add a little bit of rushing yards. He had 72 rushing yards in five games last year, but I think he's a guy that's good for like, you know, most games around 30 rushing yards just to just to sneak out of the pocket there and run. He's, you know, a decent athlete. And if you think about it, even if it's like 30 to 40 rushing yards, that's almost the equivalent of like a, a passing touchdown in fantasy points. So you don't think about that. You know, he's not going to be as good as like Josh Allen or obviously Lamar Jackson, but just if he can get those extra rushing yards because he is young and athletic, uh, there's going to be opportunities there as well. Uh, and then he's going to take big shots down the field this year with this, offense they will take shots down the field and it's not just a funnel to Cortland Sutton that one guy Cortland Sutton is going to get his he's he's awesome but they have other guys now with Jerry Judy coming in and uh, K KJ uh, Hamler uh, so I'm excited about uh, Drew Locke to, uh, as you can see uh, wh what do you think are you as high on him as I am I am actually I, I like his mobility compared to Flacco we mentioned that Flacco took 26 sacks in eight games and Drew Locke only took five sacks in those five games. And I like his arm strength. And I like the fact that he managed the team to victory. It was down the stretch. They didn't have much to play for, but they went four and one in the games that he started. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And I think we should dissect those games even a little bit more. The first one was a division game at home. And they beat the Chargers. He threw for two touchdowns, both to Cortland Sutton. Then he had that big game against Houston that you mentioned, over 300 yards, three touchdowns. And the touchdowns that day went to Fant, Hireman, and uh, Freeman out of the backfield. And the reason I mentioned that is because down the stretch, he threw a total of seven touchdown passes, and three of them went to tight ends. And I think that is uh, one of the big takeaways I want to share with our listeners is I, I think the tight end group is going to be important to watch here. Um you mentioned Noah, Noah Fant, and then they drafted uh, a tight end out of Missouri that Drew Locke played with for two years, and they had a bunch of touchdowns together. So um, that was one thing I noticed, that uh, Drew Locke really spread the ball around the field, even though he had limited weapons. He used all of them. Um, then then it was the game in Kansas City that you mentioned, and he, even though it was a, a snowstorm, he threw for over 200 yards, and then he finished with two wins. Uh, they didn't ask him to do much. He didn't have 200 yards in either game against Detroit or Oakland, but he threw a touchdown in each game, didn't have an interception. So uh, really great start for Drew Locke in terms of when he got the chance to be a starter. And uh, with all these weapons, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Now, in terms of the backup quarterback, you mentioned that they added Jeff Driscoll, and he's an athlete, too. Um 
we talked about it on on the Detroit podcast. Uh, he ran for 281 yards, um, six yards a carry. That's what he's done uh, in his career. He's started eight games. Um, passing, he hasn't been great. Only 59% completions, 10 touchdowns, six interceptions. But, you know, as far as backups go, I, again, I like that he matches Locke and maybe he's even more mobile and, and effective as a runner in case he gets in there. But, uh, you know, if, if you're John Elway and the Broncos, you certainly hope that you won't see Dre- Jeff Driscoll this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess Driscoll uh, fits the system. He's going to be able to, if he has to play, he's going to be able to run the ball, have designed runs for him, off-script runs. runs. He's the type of guy that easily can get like 80, 80 rushing yards in a game, which is equivalent to two passing touchdowns in the fantasy world, right? Uh, and he's he's also a guy that can hit those short passes to these tight ends because, like we said, their, their tight end group is loaded. Uh, and they have they're going to have a lot of uh, production from that group. Uh, and then he's still good enough to hit guys like Jerry Judy and these short passes and Cortland Sutton, uh, you know. So, yeah, he, he is an athlete. And I think that he would be good enough uh, with their good offensive line and their solid running game. Good enough, you know, if their defense can continue to make plays that they, they could actually win some games. But yeah. But yeah, he's not a guy that he, uh, it puts up much production in the passing game but he is a dual threat quarterback. So that's where at least he's respectable as a backup uh, in this system. I, th- I think he'll be okay, but uh, yeah, but just like, you know, with the Lions last year, you, you hope that you don't, uh, you don't have to play him, but the difference is Jeff Driscoll, when he played with the Lions this year, last year, he didn't have a running game. All the running backs were injured. The offensive line was okay, but we didn't really have a good running back. We didn't have Melvin Gordon or, you know, Philip Lindsay. So he didn't really, you know, they could really key in on him. So, yeah, I think it's uh, he's decent. Yeah, and let's transition to that running game because uh, it'll certainly be more of a strength for the Broncos than it, than it was for the Lions. And the thing about the Denver running game is that last year it was like the definition of a committee. Philip Lindsay had, was on the field for 51% of the snaps, and then Royce Freeman was on the field for 50% of the snaps. And they weren't that productive on average. As a team, they only had 4.1 yards per carry. But now they've signed Melvin Gordon, uh, which is a real exciting addition. So what do you think about his prospects to lead this group? Yeah, I mean, they they wouldn't have paid him that much money if they didn't plan on using him. Uh, Melvin Gordon, I think it's still probably at the edge of his prime. He's getting a little bit older, but he's a workhorse, true multidimensional type running back. He's still got the explosion. He's a lot better uh, runner between the tackles than any of these other guys. And he still has a little bit of burst on the edge and he's a great pass receiving back as well. So he didn't do have a great season last year. Melvin Gordon had 12 games. Now keep in mind, he was coming back from that holdout. He didn't really have a training camp. So I really can't blame him. And that, Chargers offense wasn't was kind of suspect. Their offensive line's not great. So he he had one of the worst seasons in terms of yards per carry, only 3.8 yards per carry, but he still put up, you know, 612 rushing yards and eight touchdowns. So he used his strong running inside the the red zone and goal line situation to get eight touchdowns in a in a pretty bad offense with a pretty bad offensive line last year. So I think that that, that shows you something right there. And he, he actually had a lot of catches for 12 games, he had 42 receptions. So in PPR formats like DraftKings, that was great there. And about 300 yards receiving and a receiving touchdown there. So this tells me that, yeah, I think that with all these weapons and a better offensive line and everything, uh, I think that he he will do well. And, and Denver does like to run the ball. They like to wear people out, especially in that thin air, mile high. You know, you can really uh, play good defense if their defense can shut people down and just wear the teams out up there. I think it's a good home field advantage for them. So, yeah, I look for the, the tricky part is trying to figure out the split, but I'm projecting it's kind of somewhere around a 60-40 split where Melvin Gordon's about 60 and Philip Lindsay 40. Now, we don't know if Royce Freeman's getting in the mix. He might he might get a small snap share, but I, I can't imagine it's much more than, you know, 5 to 8% snap share or something like that, uh, you know, unless something happens with injury. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really like Melvin Gordon. Uh, what, what do you think? Are you, are you thinking that he's due for a breakout year, or are you thinking that he's kind of on the decline because he's getting older? Yeah, I think, I think there's another year or two with – strong performance coming. Um, that was the key that he had that holdout and he came back and he had four duds, but then down the stretch, four of the last eight games, he scored over 20 fantasy points. And 
I do have a concern about the the yards per carry because it's four years out of five now that he's averaged under four yards per carry. So uh, I'd like to see that improve. But he was terrific as a pass catcher, and this coaching staff has indicated that they want their lead back to be effective catching balls out of the backfield. So I, I do think that'll give him the edge, and a 60-40 split makes a lot of sense to me. Um, this guy really knows how to get in the end zone, so uh, everybody's got to be excited, and uh, it's going to help the offense overall. And Philip Lindsay, you know, if he's that change of pace guy getting like 40% of the snaps, you know, I do think he can still be very effective. Uh, over a thousand yards last year, and he was better. He was four and a half yards per carry. You know, he was much better than Freeman. He got seven touchdowns on the ground. Decent through the air, not as good as Gordon. He's had 35 catches both seasons here early on. Um, you know, for, for Lindsey, when he was in the lead role, the, the downside for him is he only had two games of 100 yards rushing, and he only had three games over 20 fancy points. So a guy that's just not quite as explosive in terms of fantasy points because he doesn't catch that many passes, I think he'll be better suited as a as a backup change of pace guy, but I think they'll they'll have a lot of confidence in him when he does get on the field. Yeah, I think he's a little bit undersized, so he's not a guy that you just want to be a workhorse. You know, he's had a couple injuries here and there from that. He's kind of worked his way through those. Uh, so he's a little undersized. He's decent as a receiving back, but really Melvin Gordon's probably better as a receiving back, and he's definitely better as a first and second down uh, rusher. And I think that offensive line's a little better. Uh, you know, that I think that the the Chargers offensive lines is kind of suspect, you know, the last few years. So I think that that didn't help with Melvin Gordon's production. And then Royce Freeman is just kind of, you know, he's okay, but he's just kind of blah. You know, like he caught 43 catches last year, but he didn't really do anything with them. You know, he had one touchdown. Uh, but yeah, 43 catches, 256 yards. So he's kind of like a check down guy, you know, Flacco would check it down to him. That's about all he did. Right. <laughs> so, it, so I don't really like Royce Freeman in terms of being like a dynamic playmaker in the passing game or the running game. Like he's a solid backup type guy that, that you want to have around if you have a lot of injury situations, like he's decent, but that's why I don't think he's going to get on the field that much. Really. He's more of an insurance policy. Uh, yeah, so I think that uh, Philip Lindsay, you have to exercise a little caution because you're not going to get the same amount of volume that you did before. Um, and there's no guarantee he's getting those passing down backs as well. So I guess the question is, is, is Melvin Gordon the early down back and Philip Lindsay the third down back? Or are they both just three down backs that rotate in with Melvin Gordon getting the, the lead share? That's kind of where I'm leaning there. So that's something that we'll have to figure out and keep a close eye on what they're projecting for their snap share and their volume. But you have to you have to be careful with Philip Lindsay because of the volume. Uh, you don't know what he's going to get. But but overall, I think I'm pretty high on Melvin Gordon. And I think in the right game script, he's a good play. Yeah, I agree. And I'm just glad we don't have to worry about Freeman anymore. Hopefully he's just relegated to the bench. We don't have to worry about his, yeah, his snap share. Yeah, because he didn't really have the ceiling. He didn't have any games over 20. Um, so let's just yeah, stick he- with Gordon and Lindsay and, and move to the receivers. We'll all yeah, be that was, uh, and he had 50 targets in the passing game. So you can distribute those targets to Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. So these guys will produce in the passing game too, as well, which is good. So yes, they will. Yeah. Well, let's let's uh, start to explore the rest of these pass catchers, and got to start out wide with Cortland Sutton, who you know really stepped up. 72 catches last year for over 1,100 yards. You mentioned he had six touchdowns. Uh, do you think he'll get in the end zone more this year? Yeah, I mean, he's this guy is a he's a physical specimen. I mean, he's he's a, he's a big physical type guy. Uh, you probably saw some of the catches he had last year, just complete freak catches. Uh, his ability to uh, control his body and go up and high point the ball and catch difficult passes. It's just it's really uncanny. Uh, this guy was a target funnel last year. He was a target monster with 126 targets, only caught 72 of those balls. But like I said, a lot of inaccurate passes and where Flacco was throwing a hope and a prayer up, up at him there. Uh, and he was getting a ton of coverage once teams figured out that he was the only wide receiver that was decent because they traded away Emmanuel Sanders after like seven games. Uh, so Cortland Sutton, uh, yeah, he said, I think that he is a guy that should be able to get like eight to 10 touchdowns this year. He's going to be a red zone target. Uh, of course, you're a little worried about uh, red zone uh, targets in, with the tight end group. I think the tight end, 
tight end group is is due for some positive regression there in the the touchdowns as well. Uh, but yeah, overall, I think this guy is still going to be. I think he's going to be somewhere in the 80 catch, you know, 80 to 90 catch range with probably over 1,200 receiving yards. He averaged 15.4 last year, so uh, so he, he's going to be, uh, you know, a top tier uh, wide receiver there. And with adding all these other weapons we're going to talk about, that should free up some more space for him where you just can't double team this guy every single time and you can't shadow the safety over him every single time because they will make you pay now. We're, last year, you could do that all day. You, you could just completely try to shut him down. And then he was just making circus catches, basically. That's why, you know, he couldn't catch a lot of those balls. He was getting a lot of attention. But he had top fantasy games last year of 24, 22, 22, you know, 23 points, 19. So he had quite a few right around 20 or above, no monster games, but um, that was with a really bad offense and him being the only, and only target there. Um, so yeah, he might not have given him any, many targets, but I think he'll have better production. That's the main, main thing with him. Yeah. And I'm glad you hit on those actual uh, DFS outputs because he didn't have any of those ceiling games over 30. And I wouldn't be surprised if that continues. I, I think he's, a definite uh, strong option to consider based on his price and the right matchups. Um, but he's just not one of those guys that, especially with the additions we're going to talk about, he's not yeah. one of those you know, Michael Thomas guys who's going to catch 10 balls a game and give you 30 fantasy points. Um, but uh, pretty solid overall. And, and you're right. He's not going to face as much double coverage as he would have last year. Cause when Sanders was gone, you know, in, in those seven weeks, he had 30 catches, 367 yards and two scores. And then when he left, it was just a mess. It was Deshaun Hamilton and Tim Patrick, which we can touch on briefly at the end. But that was the rest of the receiving core. And, you know, the the, the Broncos said, no mas. You know, we are going to go young here. We're going to get some talent. And they they really went after it in the draft, spending first and second round draft picks on wide receivers. And. Uh, you know, I'm going to let you break those guys down. But, you know, with the excitement that the Broncos have now for Judy and Hamler, I mean, it could not have come at a better time in terms of a wide receiver, a draft loaded with wide receivers. And John Elway and the Broncos certainly took advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jerry Judy is going to be a player that's going to come in and contribute right away. This is the type of rookie where you're going to take him and say, you know, he's talented, he's raw, a raw talent. No, this guy is probably the most NFL-ready receiver that uh, we've seen in a long time. He's polished already. Everyone knows he he is an excellent route runner. He's at the elite level for route running. He knows all these uh, – his route tree is excellent. He knows these pro concepts. He played in that pro-style offense in Alabama. Great competition in the SEC. And this guy does everything. Uh He's, he's still pretty fast and he's quick and just the way he gets in and out of his routes, the way he competes is excellent. And I think at the 15th pick, he was a steal. He should really have been probably a top 10 pick. That's just how the draft went. And, uh, and they kind of got lucky that he fell that far really. Cause a lot of people thought he was the number one receiver. Uh, if you look at him, he's, he's the perfect size really. Cause he's like six, one, That means he can play inside or outside. He can do whatever you want to try to, cause mismatches. Uh, he's not one dimensional. He, he can hit, hit you deep underneath intermediate. He, he can do everything. Uh, so he's big enough to be able to compete on the outside, get off press coverage, but quick and small enough to be able to maneuver inside as well in the slot. Uh, if you look at his production, 2018, he had 68 catches over 1300 yards, 19.3 yards per catch in 14 touchdowns. Then last year, his, Drop in production was still 77 catches, 1163 yards, 15.1 average, and 10 touchdowns. I mean, that's his down year, right? So this guy absolutely dominated. And you could say what you want about, well, Henry Ruggs is a lot faster, but Jerry Judy was the more polished overall NFL-ready receiver. So he's a guy that comes in and starts from day one and produces from day one. And I think he's, you know, this is the type of guy that could be easily rookie of the year candidate. Um, and, and I think that, uh, he's going to become a, a, a real good friend with, uh, Drew Locke pretty, really soon here. And I think he's going to cause a lot of issues, uh, right away. So he's, I mean, he's definitely a great, a great pick by them and it's exactly what they needed to compliment Cortland Sutton. Um, so are, are you as high on him as I am? 
Yeah, I really am. I, I like his overall talent, uh, skill set, um, and the size compared to Hamler, their second-round pick. I agree. Um, it's funny. He's listed at 6'1". He looks taller to me. Maybe it's just because he's a little bit slender. I mean, he's not a thick guy. He could he could use a little bit more uh, strength, I would say. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's nice that he's um, spent a lot of time in the slot and has the ability to go outside as well because K.J. Hamler – the wide receiver they took from Penn State is a lot smaller and did a lot more of his damage out of the slot. Yeah, KJ Hamler, uh, you know, he, he had some production issues at Penn State. You know, like last year he dropped a lot of the balls, that type of thing. Yeah, um, 12 drops last year. Not yeah, good. so that was pretty bad, but a lot of people feel like he was always looking upfield before he caught the ball. So it might have been some, you know, fundamental techniques that he can work on, you know, get on the jugs machine, work better with a better wide receiver coach at the pro level. So I think he can improve there. He's not going to be like a target monster in this offense, but again, in this, in this division, you know, we're looking at Tyreek Hill and now we're looking at Henry Ruggs and now KJ Hamler's their version of that. He's their speed burner. This guy didn't run at the combine, but he's projected to be around a four, three speed. He's an absolute burner. And my NFL comparison for him, and I looked it up, he's about the exact same size is Deshaun Jackson. So he's the Deshaun Jackson type guy, not necessarily hyped coming out, but he's just a playmaker, a guy that can line up in the slot. He showed he can get off press coverage even on the outside as well. So he's the type of guy that can just clear out, uh, run the deep routes, and they can take shots with him. But also he's going to create space underneath for like big guys like Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who's an excellent route runner in the, with the short routes as well, right? So that's huge to be able to have that burner that is that deep threat and allow you to take those deep shots. Cause Drew, uh, you know, Drew Locke's a big quarterback and he can take those shots, you know, he's mobile. He can, he can maneuver the pocket, take a deep shot with this guy. So yeah, he's the type of guy that again, it reminds you of Deshaun Jackson cause he's probably more of a fan duel play. You know, he only caught two catches, but he has 85 yards and a touchdown. You know, and he's probably priced near minimum, right? <laughs> so, you know, he's $5,000 on FanDuel and he goes off for, you know, 20 points, but he only catches like a couple balls. That's the type of guy this is. So I think it's good for this offense to have that deep uh, speed type guy. Uh, he averaged over 16 yards a catch last year and he caught eight touchdowns, you know, 56 catches for 904 yards and eight touchdowns. So he is a playmaker. A lot of people kind of criticize this pick because in the second round, they didn't have him projected that high. But I think that he fit what they wanted to do in terms of having a speed type guy that could really cause issues and then create a lot of space underneath for these other playmakers. So it all works together, you know, and it's going to help everyone, even if he doesn't have a lot of targets and a lot of production. Yeah, it seems like one of his best strengths is that speed and that ability to get separation from the defenders. And I, I think that'll be a very strong component to this offense, as you mentioned, you know, because he'll he'll hit some home runs and he'll also open up uh, some great opportunities for everyone else. And watching his tape, he, he had a few plays where I kind of raised my eyebrows and said, oh, wow, that's I like that. I like, you know, trying to jump over people and, you know, showing that speed and, and beating everybody down the field. Uh, even against strong defenses. So, uh, you know, very exciting additions to the wide receiver group. Now, in terms of the guys who are, you know, fourth and fifth options, uh, we'll circle back to Deshaun Hamilton and Tim Patrick. Uh, you used the word blah earlier and boring. I mean, that's how I describe these guys. Yeah. Guys that were thrust into prominent roles down the stretch last year, but they really, to me, belong more as backups. Yeah, Deshaun Hamilton, I mean, they, they liked him. He played 12 games. He had about 300 receiving yards and a touchdown. Uh, but, you know, he was really forced into action because they didn't really have anyone else. He was just a guy. He know, he knew the offense, but the offense is going to change now anyways. So, but yeah, he can compete for the starting slot uh, stop, slot position just because K.J. Hamler is still kind of raw. We'll see how that goes. Or He could maybe split time with K.J. Hamler in the slot, for example. Uh, but you're going to see a ton of um, the uh, two tight end sets with this team uh, because they're loaded at tight end. So they're going to use those guys as the big slot and, and line them all, all over the place and use them in the power running game for the tight ends, which means for the most part, you're going to see a lot of Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy lining up, but uh, when they do need to go three or four wide, they can throw KJ Handler in there 
and Deshaun Hamilton and rotate those guys out. And they're, it's, they're pretty decent then. Uh, but no, they're not guys that we're looking at for fantasy production at all. Uh, I would stay, stay away from them. And Tim Patrick didn't really do much either. Uh, 31 targets for Tim Patrick and he caught 16 balls for 280 yards. So not, not any, just guys that'll catch a ball every now and then, and it will rotate in and out. Uh, but uh, I, I think that obviously we know who to target in this offense. Uh, you're looking at Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. when We're talking about wide receivers and the occasional uh, KJ Hamler, you know, he's your ultimate uh, boomer bust GPP type guy there. Yeah, I agree. I, I would consider playing Hamler, but not Hamilton or Patrick. Uh, you know, Hamilton only had two games over 10 fantasy points last year. They were the last two games, so he had a little bit of chemistry with Drew Locke, but I think that's more of a credit to Drew Locke, just taking advantage of who was on the field. Tim Patrick only played the second half of the season after Sanders was gone. He got out there, and he only had one game with at least 10 fantasy points. So just uh, guys that you're not going to consider in DFS. But we still have the tight end group, and that's uh, that's a real – uh, area area for some value, in my opinion. We've got Noah Fant now heading into his second year. Uh, pretty solid rookie year. 40 catches, over 500 yards, and three scores. Do you like the outfit, the outlook for Fant this year? Yeah, I mean, he really came on. He really impressed me. I thought that he was a he was a freak athlete. You know, uh, solid. Obviously, played with Hawkinson at Iowa, and those guys were both great. But Hawkinson obviously played a lot better than him. But so kind of the, the you thought he was just this guy that was fast that wasn't going to play that good but he really put up a good production with 40 catches 561 yards and over 14 yards per catch so he's a big big play threat as a tight end and having that size and the four or five speed he's a mismatch nightmare and he actually did pretty good with you know catching the ball in terms of his hands he had three touchdowns so I think that he'll probably have even more touchdowns this year he, he's like I said this guy's a He's a matchup problem. He had fantasy games of uh, 24, 23, and 11. So mostly those two big games is when he when he hit it pretty big. But he's the type of guy they can drop off like a little tight end screen pass to, and he can take it 60 yards to the house. I mean, most tight ends don't have that type of speed, but he certainly has breakaway speed, and he's hard to bring down. Uh, this tight end group, so I'm pretty high on Noah Fant. Uh, he's going to have a lot more room to operate now with, with all the weapons they have. Uh, and this tight end group is kind of loaded. Uh, they picked up Nick Vanette, who is a solid tight end as well. He could block and catch. Uh, they still have Jeff Hireman. And then uh, they got uh, in the fourth round tight end Albert Akawagbob. <laughs> I don't know how you pronounce it. That's why everyone calls him Albert O. Yeah, we could just uh, call him Albert O. Yeah, that works. Yeah, so everyone calls him Albert O. Played at Missouri with Drew Locke. And here is it. I mean, this is probably the two most athletic speed tight ends that you've ever seen on a team because this guy is 6'5", 258, and he ran a 4.4940. So you combine that with Noah Fant, who runs a similar time and a similar size. So in terms of the size-speed combination at tight end, this guy, this Albert O, is is also going to come in and be a playmaker and cause a lot of issues for people as well. And we know he's going to get targets because he played with Drew Locke at Missouri. And before they drafted this guy in the fourth round, they asked Drew Locke what, what he thought. He said he loves him, that they absolutely should take him. So they actually asked Drew Locke for his endorsement. And in 2017, he had his best season with Drew Locke. He had 11 touchdowns. And they still had, even without Drew Locke, you know, he still had six touchdowns, you know, over 300 receiving yards last year. Uh, so, yeah, this is a guy that obviously Drew Locke already has chemistry with, and you pair him with Noah Fan. This tight end group is so deep that they're going to have to probably cut someone who's a solid guy that the other teams are going to pick up. That's that's the way I look at it. Uh, what do you think about the tight ends? Yeah, I'm really excited about him. And you got to love that, right? Because you're scouting out this uh, big, strong, fast tight end at the college level, and you want to find out about him. And you have the you have the ability to just ask your starting quarterback, what do you think about this guy? And he's he's going to know him better than anyone since he threw 17 touchdown passes to him. So I I agree that that backdrop, that chemistry is huge. And as exciting as it is, you know, the problem is we have to worry about that potentially taking away from Fant. But I, I think early in the season, we can play Fant with some confidence and then we see how many snaps Albert O gets. Uh, you know, see if he surpasses those veterans, Vanette and Hireman that you mentioned on the depth chart. 
and uh, then potentially play Albert O down the stretch. Yeah, and I think that uh, with the addition of um, Nick Vanette, if Nick Vanette can stay stay in line more blocking, that frees up Noah Fant to be able to basically pay, play big slot. And you know I like these tight ends that play big slot. And I talk about them all the time because I can think about guys like uh, Mark Andrews or Darren Waller that I was all over last year. And what did those guys do at that big slot position? Just look at the production, right? Noah Fant yeah, has that type of – yeah. So if you have other tight ends that are solid at blocking in line, that frees up Noah Fant to do what he does best. And then – I mean, then you could you can mix in some Albert O in there as well. Uh, like I said, there's big things, uh, big things ahead for those guys. And uh, Drew Locke has a nice outlet there. Even if he just throws a short pass to these guys, good luck. I mean, they're hard to bring down and they're, and they're really fast <laughs> and still really big. I and mean, these guys are, you know, 250, 260 pounds, you know, 6'5 coming at you. It's that's that's not a good thing for a, a, a nickel corner to try to cover, you know, or a safety. So there's going to be a lot of mismatches here. And that's probably why. Uh, you know, even if KJ Hamler doesn't excel in the slot right away, they're okay because they don't even initially need a slot, um, but they still will get him on the field. But he, he's not going to be a full-time player because they'll put those tight ends in those formations. So, like I said, a lot more two tight end uh, formations here. Uh, and if they want to go power running, I talked about that with the Raiders yesterday. You can go three tight end sets now as well. You know, so you can do a lot of good things. Uh, and Pat Shermer will certainly take advantage of that. Yes, he will. Now, uh, Shane, you've talked about these tight ends. You're, you've got some tight end in your background as well uh, on the football field. So no wonder you, you love uh, breaking these guys down. So for the yep. listeners who uh, haven't tracked you down yet on Twitter, where can they find you? I'm at DET Sports Shane. So DET Sports Shane on Twitter. So definitely hit me up. And you can find me on Twitter at Language Olympic. We'd love to interact with you there. You can find the group at DFS Coach Talk. And uh, the last order of business here, Shane, is the draft. Now, we've talked about these wide receivers here in rounds one and two. Anybody else from the 2020 draft class that you think we should uh, hear about? Yeah, a couple guys I can hit on here. Third round pick at number 77, cornerback. They have, they have a lot of names hard to pronounce, obviously. Uh, Michael Imudier, I think is how you pronounce it, from Iowa. And he's a big cornerback. Uh, fell to the third round. They really liked him there. And Vic Fangio really likes him for the scheme. Uh, he's a guy that's big and physical. Vic Fangio likes a big physical corner who can really help with run support and can tackle well and play zone the zone scheme, which is what they're going to run a lot of the times. So he was a perfect fit for this. So And they really need depth at cornerback. They lost Chris Harris, brought in A.J. Bouye. They have a bunch of young guys competing at, quarter, at corner. And this uh, Moutier guy is going to compete for one of those corner spots. If he doesn't win the job right away, he'll be a great backup and special teams player. But he could compete for that other starting spot uh, opposite uh, uh, of A.J. Bouye. So I think that's a pretty solid pick. And then in the third round at, at pick 83, they had three third round picks. I really like the center they took. They took the uh, Nash, national champion uh, LSU center Lloyd Cushenberry. And this guy uh, is a guy that they uh, that fell to the third round. They thought he was probably going to go, you know, maybe in the second round. So uh, and this is a big physical uh, center, I think, can start from day one. And they have a position. They lost their starting center in free agency. So that uh, got good value in the draft, but also filled a position of need. And this guy is uh, really strong. He, he great pass protector, doesn't give up much on the bowl rush and is going to be a core to help them with the pass protection to protect Drew Locke in there at center. So I think he'll be a starter from day one. Shane, I think think if I was going to change my name, I think I might change it to Lloyd Cushenberry. Yeah, that's a pretty cool name, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's a name that's even better with the transition. The other third-round pick is defensive lineman McTelvin Agum. From Arkansas, solid. He sounds like he was uh, a character from Superbad or something like that. McTelvin. <laughs> so uh, now McTelvin uh, Aikum as a solid defensive lineman that they're going to bring in there, and he can kind of develop and hopefully learn from uh, some of these new guys like Darrell Casey that are veterans on the team. Uh, and he's another guy that's going to get in that defensive tackle uh, slash defensive end rotation. Uh, that could be a solid contributor there. 
Um, and then we already covered the tight end, Albert O, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. Other than that, they got some uh, developmental type guys. Uh, one guy they got in the sixth round was Natain Moody from Fresno State. And he was a really good guard prospect who got had a ton of injuries every year. So he couldn't stay on the field. So he was the type of guy that was supposed to be like a, a third round talent, second or third round talent that fell to the sixth round because he could he had a ton of injuries. So he could be a future starting guard for this team. Um, so that's a guy that, to keep an eye on. Um, so, yeah, I think that they, the draft, they did a good job of filling need and getting talent. Like when they drafted Albert O at the tight end position in the fourth round, that wasn't really a position of need. That was they took the best player on the board, I think. And they, they just knew he was a playmaker and Drew Locke already knew him. Uh, so obviously Jerry, Judy falling to them and uh, these other guys they got. And I think they got a starting center and probably a future starting corner cornerback here. So pretty good draft. Like I said, I, I think John Elway did a good job. But we'll we'll see how it plays out on the field here. But I think they I think this team has a great coaching staff to develop these guys. Overall, they have a ton of experience on the coaching staff, so I actually really like them. Yeah, I do too, and I think we're in agreement. They've had a great off season. Um, so how about some final predictions here? Um, we mentioned that Drew Locke went four and one down the stretch. He went two and one in division, so he's got that uh, those positive memories to work off of. Um, tough division. Um, certainly wouldn't predict that they'd challenge the Chiefs, but uh, do you think they can potentially sneak into a wild card? Yeah, I think they're going to come down the stretch competing for a wild card nine to ten wing team, and I think Drew Locke uh, could actually be like a top twelve fantasy quarterback, which is would be a huge jump for him. Um, so I think he could actually be uh, have a big uh, big season this year with his uh, second year in the league. Uh, yeah, so uh, pretty high on this team. I think they will they will compete uh, with the they maybe don't have the home field advantage with the fans, but again, I keep talking about the altitude and how tough it is to play there. So they have a home field advantage even without fans, right? And most 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 stadiums don't have that. So that's kind of interesting aspect as well. This team. So so yeah, pr- pretty high on this team. I think Broncos fans have a lot to be excited about, and uh, fantasy players have more playmakers to work with now. Yeah, that's right. So. Uh, we, we touched on the Chiefs. That's the team that you and I are going to cover tomorrow. So I just want to thank everyone again for listening. You can find our podcasts uh, on YouTube now with a, with a video, and you can listen to them anywhere podcasts are found. You can find out more about our group at dfscoachtalk.com. Our fearless leader, Joe Sarvati, affectionately known as Coach, likes us to mention his favorite charity, Mamba on 3 Org. And that's going to wrap it up for today. So on behalf of Shane Caldwell, I am Andrew Hansen. Thank you so much for joining us and be sure to tune in again tomorrow when we break down the Kansas City Chiefs here on DFS Coach Talk.